Hey guys, and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh Fitness Podcast. The last few weeks have been amazing having Robin Das, Rebecca, uh, and Neil Gunning on the episodes, uh, talking about nutrition, their battle with mental health, and all that kind of things. So this week is a little bit special for me uh, because this is the I'm interviewing the person that told me to do or suggested to do the podcast. Uh, I've got Brian Keane on the podcast today. He's in, for those guys who are unaware of Brian, I don't know how you're unaware of him because he's all over social media at the minute. Entrepreneur, author of two books, just released his second book uh, recently. He's got a third. He's working on his third one at the minute. Public speaker, does three podcasts: business, fitness, and GAA. He's also has a mentorship program, and he's also the creator of the GAA Lean Body Program. Thank you so much for coming on today, Brian. I really appreciate it. I'm like, good job getting the podcast up and running, and my pleasure being on. Looking forward to having a chat. Um, so, Brian, I like the one of the things that kind of like when we I met I've met you twice now. The second time in particular was I kind of had a longer chat with you. One of the things that resonates with me big time with yourself is that both of us had, as I like to call it, real jobs, um, and we we managed to kind of get out of that. We kind of enjoyed our twenties. A little bit too much maybe with the kind of going out and socialising and stuff, but we decided to take a step back, reassess and kind of change careers. Uh, and one of the things that your your attitude is infectious. Like even when, when I came in, I was kind of a little bit nervous, all that kind of stuff when I came into the seminar in Galway. But you were kind of, you were high-fiving everyone, kind of giving massive hugs to everyone. So like what's, what is the, the, the secret to, to your infectiousness or your, your happy-go-lucky mentality? To be honest, I think it's just gratitude that's been... I'm very aware that there was once upon a time in my life when I would have given everything to do what I'm doing now. And to not forget that on a daily basis allows me to kind of stay grounded in the fact that you get to wake up every day and do something you love. Um, to give you a suppose, listing that's unfamiliar with my background, uh, I used to be a primary school teacher, so that was my quote-unquote real, real job. And, and I liked it. Like, I enjoyed teaching. Um, I did it for four years, but it wasn't what I would do for free. I have now what I call a non-job where my life and my job are kind of interconnected. And everything that I do, even at the seminar in Galway, when we met, you know, the second time, like, it's one of those moments where I'm like, I can't believe I get to connect with such awesome people, help them with their business and provide the knowledge that I have in my head to try and serve and provide value to the people that are attending. And I get to do that with loads of things, the podcasts I do, blogs that I write, the books that I write. Um, and I think a lot of that attitude comes from being grateful for the fact that I get to do that and not forgetting where I came from in the sense that there was once upon a time I'd have given my left hand to do what I have now and to be what I am now. So I think that's probably to sum it up very quickly um it's, it's grounded in gratitude no no i think that that's one thing that kind of strikes with me as well you're, you're a happy-go-lucky guy but like you've been very successful as well but you are you're a man of the people and in the fact that you've had you've had your own uh thing issues of mental health you've been up on stage you've had you're you're not a, you're not ashamed to talk about the whole issue with body dysmorphia and stuff like that as well uh, from anyone that's kind of i know spring classic and stuff like that is coming up in the next little while now i know a few people who are going to be partaking in the spring classic side of things and for bodybuilding and stuff what made you get into that side of things when you were when you were doing it 
it's funny because I there's kind of two reasons that brought me into bodybuilding and competing as a muscle model, fitness model in that realm. And the first was, it was always something I looked up to in the sense that I used to always watch videos of Arnold Schwarzenegger. I used to watch the bodybuilders and look at them and think, oh my God, that's so incredible what they're doing. And there's a bit of an echo. Can you hear me okay, Shane? Okay, all good. Yeah. Um, and I would look at these people that were competing and it was something I always aspired to because in my mind, being in shape, being big, being strong, having muscle was how I effectively wanted to look because it was what represented success in my mind. But it doubled over with the fact that when I left teaching and came back to Galway in 2014, which was just under, just five years ago, I came back and I've been working, to give a little bit of context, I've been working in London for four years and two of those years I worked as a teacher during the day and I worked as a personal trainer at night time. And when I moved back to Galway in 2014, I had no social media, I had no podcast, I had no presence online um, and I had no clients. So when I moved back first, I had to move back in at my mum and dad. I had to go on social welfare for a couple of, it was actually a couple of months. And then I started getting some subbing jobs teaching and I was able to go off social welfare. And I had my sister's little Toyota Yaris that I would drive to and from places. And when I came back, I'd seen that Facebook, because Instagram was only starting really at that stage in, in my eyes. Um, and podcasting hadn't popped. Snapchat wasn't really a thing. And I was like, okay, I need to start doing this social media thing to try and get some clients. And in Galway, when I moved back, I was working one-to-one -one as a PT, personal trainer, and I needed something that separated me from other trainers in the gym. So competing was actually my door into that or my stepping stone into that because there was nobody else. There was nobody in Galway or in that region at the time that was competing in fitness modeling, competing in men's physique. Men's physique wasn't even a division at that stage. And I said, okay, this is my entry point. This is the thing that's going to differentiate me. And I started posting that content of my contest prep. I prepped myself for my shows. I started posting that prep and as a result i was getting leads coming in through facebook and instagram of young guys that wanted to look the way i looked and as a result it allowed me to build my business and then i was fortunate enough i was successful in the competing realm i got my pro card in november 2014 in mami pro i did the world in las vegas in 2015 i came eighth in the worlds um on that pay-per-view show and i did pretty well in that realm um but to get into it, it was a combination of always having a love for bodybuilding and, and using that as my success metric at the time in combination with wanting to build my business by having something that differentiated me from other people. Um, and then it kind of just went from there. Do you miss that world at all? No, not at all. Um, uh, I When 2015 came, and I spoke about this in the mindset section of my first book, that my daughter was born... A few months before the Worlds in Las Vegas, the Worlds in Las Vegas was in August 2015. My daughter Holly was born in May 2015. And I had decided that that was the end, that I wasn't competing after that. Um, I was walking around like a zombie for months before shows because calories were so low. I was abusing my body with different particularly fat burners. I abused the crap out of fat burners. Um, I was doing way too much training. I was under eating. Um, my mental health was, I spoke about this in the anxiety section of my book. 
my mental health was the worst it ever was because I had not only was I comparing myself against other pro fitness muscle models, bodybuilders, but I also wasn't giving my body and mind the reps needed. Like I wasn't sleeping. I'd more or less given up sleep and my mental health was just shocking. I'd made the decision a few months before the Worlds when Holly was about three, about three or four weeks old. I was like, that's it. I'm done. And I, I'll say never say never, you know, always give yourself permission to change your mind. But I don't think that's a world I'll ever step back into. Potentially, you know, if I ever did a natural bodybuilding show down the line, maybe if I could do it healthily. Um, but no, I'm out of that world for the foreseeable and have no intention on stepping back into it. No, no, because I'm more conscious of it now, the fact that I'm like, a couple of the PTs that I work with are, are getting ready for it now and I can see kind of the, the eyes going a little bit, even though they're, what, 14 or 15 weeks out, the kind of the eyes are going a little bit, the cardio will be kind of coming up in the next four or five weeks, so I'm just kind of seeing what your kind of mindset and the whole thing was. One of the um, the things that resonates with me the most from, from meeting you the second time was your schedule on a daily basis during the week. The fact that, like, could you let the listeners know what your schedule looks like on a, on a daily basis, including your sleep pattern? Um, so it's funny because today falls very much into that. Um, so during the week, I've got a pretty strict schedule in the sense that I'm very, very clear on mapping my actions to my ambitions. So I know what my end goals are. Um, and I spoke about this at the, the, the seminar that when I'm aware of my end goals on what I'm looking to achieve, my day needs to reverse engineer that. So I get up at four o'clock in the morning and um, I drive for an hour, intentionally drive for an hour to my gym. I have a garage home gym in my house. I could train at home, but I intentionally drive to an hour to the gym so that I can listen to a podcast, normally business related because I'm working with so many people on their business in terms of fitness business consulting at the minute. So normally something business related. Then I work for an hour from five to six, which is normally emails or laptop work. The stuff that I don't really like doing. The only part of my day that I'm like, I wouldn't do this for free, but it's the stuff that I have to do to kind of keep things ticking over. So I do it in the morning, you know, the Mark Twain philosophy of eat that frog, you know, eat a frog first thing in the morning, the whole day is going to be better as a result. So I try and get that out of the way early. Um, then I train from normally six to eight or six to nine. Um, I'm running through the Arctic in the third week of February. So my training sessions are quite longer now than they generally would be. Normally I train for 40 or 50 minutes, but now they're, they could run upwards of two or three hours based on the run that I need to cover in order to train for that event um, then I drive back out home which is another hour I listen to an audiobook normally something that moves my life forward in some way then I do my creative work for a couple of hours normally book writing so the third book now has taken president over the last couple of weeks um, so I'm writing the follow-up to my first book the fitness mindset so I write and do my creative for two hours and then I do some reactive work on social media which is like Instagram Q&A's or recording a podcast or doing some something similar to this where I'm having conversations with cool people and then I take a break for a couple of hours during the day and just have some downtime and then I go back and check any other uh, fires that I may need to put out any other meetings that I may need to have um, and then I switch off 6 p.m. is complete downtime with like I call it dick around time it's like 
watching a movie, watching Netflix, hanging out with my daughter, meeting my mum for dinner, doing something that's completely downtime. Um, and then I go to bed normally at eight. If I'm up at four, I'm in bed at eight. If I'm up at five, I'm in bed at nine. Um, and I don't negotiate on my sleep. I don't function. If I don't get eight hours sleep, um, I just don't function and can't get as much done the next day. And then I just rinse and repeat that. Um, with the exception of days I'm running seminars or I'm doing a corporate event or I'm speaking or I have got, you know, now when I've got a new mastermind starting where I'll be meeting once a month during the week with the exception of those days that aren't the norm, that's effectively how mo- most of my work days look during the week. Yeah, there is, I, the one thing, the 4 a.m. start sounds crazy, but it's not too dissimilar from working as a PT anyway because you're, work, you're up normally, if you, if, you, if you want to work in the mornings as a PT, it's going to up at 5 or half 5 anyway, so it's not too dissimilar, but I love the way that it's so organized, you know exactly what's going on you planned out your day you planned out your week and you you have a simple message kind of saying something along the lines of if it was a uh, prepared to fail what is it what's the message you have about yeah you know fail to plan plan to fail yeah so i i think that's a great idea i think that's a great ideology and this, the sleep part is that in fact you a little bit off air you're kind of saying that prioritizing sleep is a big thing for you and that seems to be the the biggest hurdle that a lot of people have especially the people that are kind of coming to me face to face online is that sleep just seems to be almost second second in command to them or second commitment to them and if there's anyone out there that kind of is struggling with a little bit of sleep is there any supplements or is there any direction that you could kind of point them in yeah so before before I go into that, just to clarify, I get up at 4 or 5 a.m. because that maps my actions to my ambition. The things that I want to do are mapped to getting up early because I can be more productive and get more done early in the day. And even when I want that time in the evening to hang out with my daughter, to hang out with my mum, or to hang out with my inner circle of closest people, I'm not saying for anybody listening you need to get up at 4 or 5 a.m. Um, definitely not. You know that That's the only reason I do that is because... I've got the things that I want to achieve, and this routine supports that. Um, so before anyone's like, yeah, yeah, you know, because I lose people at 4 or 5 a.m. when they're like, yeah, I'm not getting up at fucking 4 or 5 a.m. Um, I'm like, yeah, you don't need to. But if you're struggling to sleep, the best piece of advice I'd offer is the same as everything. You will do everything in your life that you prioritize. And if you're mindlessly going to sleep whenever you feel like it, whenever you get tired, then don't complain if you're mindlessly tired the following day. Um, it needs to be something that's structured. How ba- how much routine and structure you put in is based off how poor or how good of a sleeper you are. Some people can just hit the, the head, hit the pillow, and they're out like lights until the following morning and they wake up feeling refreshed. Other people need to do 50 million things before bed just to get their body into routine, block out the blue light, take the right supplements before they can get a good night's sleep. I happen to fall into the latter. I would have been notoriously a poor sleeper by nature and I have to do, you know, a nighttime routine. I block out blue light, the phone that went your phone, for example, on your screen, blue light, which is effectively what the, what's in the sun, what the sun emits out, that keeps you awake and that will if you're struggling to sleep and you're staring at a screen all day and you're getting that blue light coming back at you, that's going to negatively impact your sleep. So I tend to block that out about an hour or two before bed, either dropping off and not using my phone or using blue light blocking glasses. That's because I've got an orange tint that works as the opposite of blue light. Um, and then I use, personally for me, GABA is probably my favorite supplement. Um, it's a 
supplement that can help wind down your central nervous system. And combining that with not taking stimulants too late in the day can really help you kind of hack your sleep. So the mistake I used to make was drinking coffee or even green tea to an extent too late in the day. Um, you know, caffeine's got like a five and a half hour half-life. And if that's if you drank a cup of coffee at 5 p.m. and you're trying to go to bed at 11 p.m., there's still half of that. So you're not going to be able to unwind as easily. So cutting out stimulants, blocking out blue light, and considering adding a supplement like magnesium or GABA that winds down your central nervous system can all massively support having a good night's sleep. I know you're a big, uh, you love your coffee. Um, and one of the things, another one of the books that I would kind of recommend to anyone out there is kind of the Matthew Walker book, Why We Sleep. It's it's it puts it into very basic English of what kind of how you should get to sleep, the, the nervous systems and stuff like that, and, and information about caffeine and stuff. So if you are struggling to sleep, and the first thing I would probably potentially look at would be obviously your routine, but the second one probably be your caffeine intake. Um, the caffeine intake it probably takes about what, five to seven hours for caffeine to get out of your system. And I know a lot of people these days are kind of running around like zombies. They have busy work schedules and stuff like that. And coffee seems to be the st- stimulant that they use. The one of the things that kind of came in on the, one of the Q and A's was the the about monsters monster drinks and the energy drinks. What's your kind of take on those as a whole at the minute? Would you be an advocate of those or? Um, it depends. Uh, I can answer this in kind of two ways. Personally, I'm I'm not a fan. Um, I don't drink them and I don't like them. But that's for me personally. Um, I also love coffee. So, um, as you mentioned, I'm a massive fan of coffee. So I would rather get my caffeine from a cup of coffee. Um, it depends. Like I think cans of Monster, like everything, like like a diet, like foods, like supplements. There's no good or bad food or good or bad drink. It's What's the end goal? What are you looking to achieve? And then does consuming this food help you hit that end goal? Like, for example, if you're, you know, a 22-year-old guy or girl looking to get a caffeine kick before your workout and you're like, well, I just want to get leaner and have a good workout and I don't really care about the stimulants or the sleep or the health or the sweeteners, then Monster's going to work great. But if you're someone with, you know, IBS or an autoimmune system, then it's probably not going to be the best thing to consume at any stage in the day that could potentially have negative effects on you know your your gut or the way that you feel or your anxiety level so it all depends on what's the end goal and then just deciding does a can of monster or red bull or stimulant drink does that support the end goal because the answer in some cases is yes and the answer in some cases is no 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 i like that i I personally don't drink them myself uh just because of the my medical history and stuff like that so i don't, i try to stay away from them as much as possible and I, I only started drinking coffee probably less than a year ago and that was only since i became a pt because of the crazy hours um one of the things i come across uh, a lot as a pt on the floor and online is that a lot of people struggle to say that they don't have the people particularly people with kids and busy work lives is that they may not have enough time you have you you your your gorgeous daughter Holly and stuff like that. I know you kind of spoke a little bit about prioritizing time, but what would you say to those people that are kind of so focused that they may not be able to have enough time in order to get like even an hour into the gym, forty minutes in the gym, or what would you kind of say to those guys? I'm a massive fan. One of my favorite quotes of all time is from Richard Feynman, former Nobel Prize physicist, and he says, "Don't fool yourself, and you're the easiest person to fool." 
And that's what I think about when I think about time. And the one phrase, and I've said this at so many corporate events, I say it at seminars, and I've said it on my podcast, that the one simple reframe from I don't have time to it's not a priority can change your entire life. Because sometimes, because you do have time. You, you do. Like the reality is you do have time. Everyone is the same 24 hours and you do have the time, but it might not be a priority right now, you know, or you confuse it with I don't have the energy to do it. And that's completely different. That's a different problem then where people are like, oh, I don't have time to train. It's like, OK, is that the truth or can you not prioritize the time to train right now or do you not have the energy to train because you've got three kids and you've been working all day because they're two different problems so that one reframe on i don't have time versus it's not a priority or not confusing being tired with not having enough time i think if you can get to the root of that it allows you then to decide do i want to make different decisions and different choices because there's times in your life and i get this more than anybody where you know if i have a book deadline and I always prioritize, you know, I've got a daddy-daughter day with my daughter every week. It's just a day, me and her, no phone, nobody else. And we just, we go swimming or we go to the, she's big on swimming right now. Um, or we go to the cinema or we go to the park. And they're, they're non-negotiable things for me. You know, I'm very clear on what my values are. You know, value the valuables. And I, I try and value those above all else. But there's times when I can't prioritize my training. Or there's times when I can't prioritize prepping my food. And I've got to go reach for something handy and quick. Like, that's, I could easily get wrapped up personally in the, oh, I don't have time to train today, or I don't have time to, not true, because I could, you know, I could get up earlier, you know, that just means I'm not, I'm prioritizing my sleep over my training session, so that reframe has helped me so much, because I don't get wrapped up in fooling myself in the story, and as a result, again, I, I can only speak for myself, because you're your own best example, but in how that's manifested in my life is that I do get the stuff done that needs to get done because I understand that it's about priorities versus time. No, I think that's brilliant because I think in particular when kind of January was coming up and people were kind of, they had been kind of maybe overindulging at Christmas and stuff and they were kind of dipping their toes in the water about kind of getting PT or online coaching and then some people were kind of coming back saying I haven't got enough time I've got kids and stuff like that so I love that mentality that it's just not a priority at the moment and I'm definitely going to steal that when I kind of have someone kind of uh, have face-to-face contact or something like that. Um, one and, of the- and, and just just to, just to clarify on that, even to expand on that, Shane, for everybody listening, there's nothing wrong with not being able to prioritize your training yeah. or nutrition right now. There's other things that are more important. Um, and that's why I like that. Like, I'm not one of these trainers, and then again, the reason I love you is you're not one of these trainers that hammers it and be, that tells people, look, you have to train, you know, get up your hours early, and everybody has to do this. It's like, maybe you can't prioritize it right now. The only issue I ever have is when people are fooling themselves with that story, where when you take ownership of it and realize that, you know what, my job is actually taking priority right now, my kids are taking priority right now, my finances are taking priority elsewhere right now, I can't invest that into myself for PT, that's cool, but just don't wrap a story that I don't have time around just because that's not true. Yeah, I think that's awesome, and I'm, I'm kind of glad you kind of went back to it there at the end. One of the things, kind of now, we're kind of end of January now, and people are going to have our kind of paydays coming up for people, um, and people who are kind of in the who are kind of getting into their fitness or into their routine is that they could be going out to buy supplements. Um, do you have any supplements that you would suggest for people that won't break the bank? 
It depends. Um, so say if, I, so, so, so mo- most of my clients would be people who are looking to, to lose weight compared to people who are who are look, looking to who are looking to be bulky massive people massive guys or whatever most of the, for fat loss in particular for, for supplements for those guys okay so in, in that sense yeah because i think always pick supplements based off whatever your goals yeah. are um also it's a little bit tricky to recommend supplements without being fully aware of someone's nutritional protocol for example you know if someone doesn't eat a lot of meat i'm like well a protein supplement 100 percent. or if someone doesn't eat and they're trying to get you know a lean some lean muscle tissue and they don't eat any red meat i'm like maybe consider creatine but for fat loss i've got my personal preferences um and they kind of fall into a bracket of three and these are the three in you know that i always mention on my podcast or the three in my book and they're my three personal favorites because they're the ones that don't have a massive negative effect on your central nervous system so you won't get a rebound effect you can definitely get stronger ones than these that will be more potent but you know the laws of physics what goes up will come down you know if you end up taking a really strong fat burner that suppresses your appetite and gives you a load of energy with the absence of food as soon as you pull that fat burner out or your body gets accustomed to that level of stimulant you're going to have a rebound effect so the reason i like these three is because you don't generally get that the first is caffeine so i i'm a massive fan of even even though i drink lots of my cups of coffee when i'm doing any ultra marathons or any endurance events i always have caffeine pills with me as well and first for performance aspect but for fat loss because they increase lipolysis they're going to release fat from the cells and they're going to give you a, a an increase in heart rate while you take it that's what stimulants do and if you've got polymorphisms to like the majority of people in their genes that caffeine affects them as a stimulant some people drink coffee and it does nothing but for the majority it affects them as a stimulant you're going to get a, a, a slight raise in heart rate which is going to allow you to either train harder or it's going to allow you to burn more calories the next one then is green tea extract which is a, a supplement i love because of the health benefits as well um, and i love drinking green tea but the compound in green tea, ECGC, is the one that has a direct impact on metabolism. It's the one that can elevate your metabolism so you burn more calories throughout the day. Um, so that's more concentrated in the, in the supplement form. So I think green tea extract is one of the few supplements that I'm like, that's probably better than the tea version or the food version because that's more concentrated. And um, Generally what I, I get people to look at is the back of the ingredient list and if the ECGC is 45% or higher, it's going to be enough to have a positive effect on metabolism. So you're going to burn more calories throughout the day without really doing anything and then the third one is L-carnitin tartrate which helps push fat cells into the mitochondria to be burnt as fuel so all it effectively does is the fat that you have in your body it allows you to utilize that fat for fuel caffeine is, is quite similar and um, it's direct impact on the positives those three supplements um are the ones i like L-carnitin is not even a stimulant so you're not even going to get a stimulant effect so it's not going to have like any jittery feeling uh, green tea extract's got quite a low stimulant effect so you could take it and even if you don't do well with caffeine you're going to be able to tolerate that and then caffeine in general you can vary the dose based on your own tolerance level and um, they're kind of my three go-to's generally uh, and then the doses depending on your body weight you know um, and your tolerance level so i would play around with that a little bit uh, but they're my three go-to's awesome um i think the I've listened to you for quite a while now on your podcast and stuff like that, and I think 
uh, when I when I came across you at first as a recommenda- recommendation from a friend, and they said to check out one of the episodes, and it's all the way back to like episode ninety one, and at that time I was in recovery from the illness that I had. I managed. I got two blood clots in my left arm. Woke up one morning, two blood clots. Had to get surgery. Had to get the veins open back up, and then two weeks later, I got fluid in my lungs, and I lost like two stone in about six weeks. So I fell into a massive hole mentally, uh, and, I, and I just wasn't well at all. So I started listening to more podcasts, and that's how I got into all this kind of stuff. And one of the things that was when I, I started going to talk to someone, and one of the things that kind of resonated with me the most out of one of your messages was, stop caring what other people think. I think a lot of people now, especially with kind of the social media era that we're in, there can be a lot of keyboard warriors. There can be a lot of pros of kind of the social media side of things and there could be some cons with kind of people sitting behind a desk and just sending nasty messages what would be your kind of main takeaway points from that episode from the stop caring what people what other people think yeah so that was one of my most downloaded episodes um episode 91 how to stop caring what people think about you um it's funny because I've kind of evolved and expanded on some of those ideas in that episode since I recorded it. Um, that was quite a difficult one to record because at the time I was fleshing out some of those ideas and was living them at that present moment. Um, so you can even tell from the tone in my voice in that episode that and I was very transparent. I was like, look, I'm, I'm dealing with this right now. And having kind of came out the other side from it, one how to stop caring what people think about you, the very easy answer to that one is get clear on whose opinion does count. Because when you get very clear on your inner circle of people, I regularly talk about your inner circle, the people you spend the most time with, particularly when it's by design and not by default. Um, I've got my mum, I've got my daughter, I've got you know one of my best mates, Paul, who's been on your podcast, um, and I've got a couple of other friends who are my inner circle of people. They're the people that if everything, all the shit at the fan tomorrow, they do, they're, they're the people I would turn to for advice. And the same on their side. If something happened, good or bad, I'd be the first one to champion them in what they're doing, or I'd be the first one to be like, yeah, come sleep on my couch, I got you covered. You know? And when I put out content or when I do things, you're going to have a certain amount of negative feedback. It's just the law. Of the, people are going to project their insecurities onto you. And I get it because I've done it myself. When, you know, I would get annoyed at some fitness person and they put up some post about some workout plan or diet. And I'm like, that's fucking wrong. That's wrong. I can't believe they said that. Not realizing that I'm like, well, just stop projecting your insecurity onto them. That's you. Deal with your own problems. And when I got very clear on who that inner circle was, it started to drown out the noise on everything else. And it's funny because I mentioned this at um, my, I did a fitness seminar in December, um, around the same week as the business seminar. And I spoke about this briefly in the mindset part that when you're, when you get very clear on whose it is that opinion that matters and you drown out the noise from everybody else and you detach yourself the bad or the comments that come in from you and this always gets mixed gets met with mixed feedback but i get i'm very fortunate you know i I, the first time we met i remember your amazing words to me and i remember leaving the the gym and i can't remember the name of that gym that chq yeah 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 the fucking look like i should have been raving out of the place exactly yeah um, 
Yeah, and I remember, and I, I am very fortunate with the content I put out, I get some amazing messages, and, and then on the flip side, I get some really nasty stuff, where people are like, this fucking idiot, you know, he swears too much, or he doesn't know what he's talking about, or he's this or that, and you get to a point when you can't be attached to either. If somebody tells you that you're the best thing since sliced bread, you have to just be like, that's awesome, I'm so happy I've been able to help thank you so much for your amazing words and you're not really attached to it and the same side when somebody's like you're a charlatan you're the worst thing ever you're like cool you know if you're projecting your stuff onto me that's cool or maybe that's the way you truly feel that's fine and you don't attach to that either when i got better at detaching from both sides you know they say that you can it's funny because you can't feel good without bad and the more attached i got to the good stuff when people had nice words, I'm like, well, if I keep thinking I'm great for this, I've got to take the bad stuff as well. And I realize that it's just easier to do your thing and just detach from it completely. So that's kind of how I am now. Um, I'm very grateful for the amazing words I get from people. Um, and I'm also able to take the criticism, critic, critic feedback or sometimes constructive criticism and not so constructive criticism from people that don't like me. And I don't get attached to either. My ego isn't damaged by a good comment or a bad comment and having been able to do that and hone that over the last you know 12 18 months it's allowed me to really disconnect from the opinions of others and then realize that the five people or six people who are in my life whose opinion does matter make sure that they respect you make sure that they're the people who know who you truly are you know and i wrote i wrote this section actually yesterday for my third book i'm doing the first draft now um, and it's just to kind of give you a synopsis I spoke about, you know, um, set, prioritizing the people in your life and prioritizing the things that are important to you. But I was like having 50 million social media followers or having, you know, countless zeros in my bank account means nothing if my daughter thinks I'm a cunt and my mum thinks I'm a dick. Like, you know, that that was my, you know, they weren't the words I used in the book, but like <laughs> they're the, the ones that I, I, I use myself in everyday speak. And getting very clear on that has allowed me to disconnect from the opinions of other people. And I think it's like a skill, you know, you don't get good at it overnight. You get good at it by practicing it every day. You know, how do you get better at the gym? You go consistently. How do you get stronger? You lift slightly heavier when you're feeling stronger. How do you get fitter? You run slightly further or slightly faster than you did the day before. And that's effectively how disconnecting from the opinions of others is. It doesn't happen overnight. It's gradually staying on top of it. It's like sweeping the floor. You know, you can sweep the floor today and it's clean, but if you don't do it every day, it gets dirty again. And that's how I think about mental health, and that's how I think about how to stop caring what people think about you. It's staying on top of it every day, and then letting that compound over time. I love the I love the whole idea of the inner circle. I think after that, I I I attached onto that comment out of the most out of the whole out of that episode in particular, and I've worked on it a lot over the last little while. And I have, I'm very lucky that I've got a, an amazing family. I've got. An amazing group of friends and I do have my inner circle and it's very important for people to realize it doesn't have to be it can be any number it doesn't have to be the five that Brian mentioned but it, it can be two two people three people four people it doesn't really matter but you, you'll always have those people that that are always able to pick you up I was talking to one of my mates recently and he was talking to a girl that he was into or whatever and he's a little bit down I sent him a message of there's an in-betweeners meme with you know Jay from the in-betweeners yeah, uh, yeah. when he when he's crying saying his penis was too big it was 
and it was just one of those moments that just kind of snapped him out of it and that kind of like it was just there's those people that just know the right time to say something to you and that's kind of made me that that episode made me realize that there that thing is is kind of key um the other thing i was going to ask you was you mentioned recently enough on another episode with the victim mentality and I think a lot of us fall into that a lot of the time and I know I've been guilty of that previously particularly when I got ill that I just fell into this whole thing why me why does this always happen to me that kind of mentality can you kind of go into a little bit more onto the victim mentality side of things and how people can kind of come out of it the other other side yeah the victim mentality is something that I talk about quite a bit and it's actually a, quite a heavy feature in the in the new book I'm writing because it, to be honest as similar to you Shane it's something I've been such a victim of myself pardon the pun that I've I, that was my outlook for so long where if something bad happened I would either look for an excuse to justify it or I'd find a way to blame somebody else and nothing ever changes when you do that you never get any better you know, if you if I had a bad relationship with somebody, I would be like, well, yeah, well, she was a she was a bit of a cunt, or whatever whatever label I put in it to justify myself for not showing up the way I was supposed to show up, or if I missed a few workouts or didn't finish a, a run or didn't finish whatever I set out to do, I'm like, ah, I don't need to do that anyway. It's not important, and I would wrap a story around it to justify it, and I got into a really bad habit of doing that. And I did it for everything because how you do anything is how you do everything. And when you start making excuses for yourself in fitness or in relationships or in your business, you end up start doing it elsewhere. And the victim mentality for me was very much down to depending on what you struggle with, because it's very easy to blame other people. It's very easy to blame external circumstances. It's a lot more fucking hard to take back and own it and realize that everything that's gone wrong in your life to this point is your fault. And that's what I try and do now in in everything, in absolutely everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, I try and own it and take ownership of it. You know, I'm very aware that, like everybody, I've got so many shortcomings, probably way more than positives, but I own them. And realize that right if i'm going to change them i need to own them first because when you own something you can control it and when you control it you can change it but if you start fucking wrapping a story around it justifying that oh well there's no good guys out there or there's no good girls out there or you know i can't start my own business i'm not good enough i'm not smart enough or i can't go to the gym and lose weight or build muscle because i don't have time and you start wrapping stories around this that's living by a victim mentality and you the inoculation for that is by taking fucking ownership of it and taking extreme ownership of it. Jocko Willick has a great book on business called Extreme Ownership and it's just taking the high end of responsibility for everything that's gone wrong in your life and stop being a fucking victim. And I, and I, I speak and I'm not speaking to anybody else here. This is how I live my life. I'm not saying this is what everyone should do but it's what has supported me because I went so far the other way blaming everybody else and nothing was changing and then I was sitting and complaining that my life wasn't getting better but I was blaming everybody else for the things that were going wrong and when I was able to take back control of it I was able to change it and now it's just a case of trying to do that consistently over time and not going into the automatic default mode of, you know, when something goes wrong or, um, you know, a business thing goes wrong or a speech goes wrong or a date goes wrong or something like that where you're blaming the other person or blaming the external circumstance. I pull it back and go, okay, 
what did I do to make the situation the way it is? What could I have done? What would I do next time? If I go back and do it again, what would I do? And I'm going to apply that next time and maybe I got a different result because I didn't get the one I wanted at the end of this. Um, and I think that victim mentality, I think it's a fucking toxin on society when you get wrapped up in it for so long. For me, it was anyway. And when I stopped doing that, my life got better. And But again, it's a hard one because it's so relatively new in the sense that I've only been accustomed and applying it for the last 12, 18, 24 months heavily to the point that I apply to everything in my life where I'm like, stop being a victim, stop being a victim, own your shit and get it done. And I'm starting to reap some of the fruits of that. Um, so yeah, it, it's a difficult one to answer because depending on what the example is, I would take a different approach, but that's that's how I look at it in my life personally. Oh no, I, 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 agree, with, I agree with a lot of it, but I know when I kind of fell into how the, the victim mentality it happened to me when I was sick and I was kind of I was kind of looking back at it and it's kind of taken me up until I'd say last month I would say to realise what the real reason for me getting sick was and it was the, the the crazy nights out it was not looking after myself it was kind of not even going out for a run because I'd given up playing football and it was just that my body was just in a way of just tell, telling me to calm down and just it was it was shutting down on me and that's why I ended up getting sick. So it wasn't anything to do with anything other than my actions. So that's why I, I love that whole message of the kind of the victim mentality side of things. Um, the one of the I know you're kind of tight for time, Brian. So I'll ask you one more question and we'll kind of do the Q and A from the the stuff that I put out on Instagram. So if you if you are a complete newbie, January is kind of the time when complete newbies come into the gym uh, and they're looking to lose a little bit of fat and get ready for a wedding or getting ready for uh, summer holidays coming up in, in the summer. Where would you kind of where would you kind of point them? What direction would you point those guys into or girls? Um, in the sense of time, in the sense of what tactics they would use or in terms of timeline? Uh, tactics. So what I would apply there is for anybody looking to, you know, get in shape, lose weight, drop their body fat, is not doing too many things and too many changes all at once. Um, and I think, you know, I'm a big believer in, you know, um, one of my favorite books is Charlie Munger's um, Poor Charlie's Almanac. And he speaks in there that, you know, if I knew where I was going to die, I just wouldn't go there. And that's kind of how I think about fat lottery. There's certain things that will derail you. Like nearly 99 out of 100 times will derail you. And one of those things is doing too many things in one go because you're not going to be able to sustainably do that over time. So the example I give for this is people that have never been in the gym before, that never got up early before, that have never really ate that healthily before, and the second week of January, third week of January, or even now, hits, and they're like, okay, I'm getting up at 5 a.m., I'm going to go to the gym for 6, I'm going to do a new workout program, and I'm going to eat super healthy food and cut out all the sugar and all the other foods that I've been eating that I know I shouldn't have been over the last you know, 12 months, 12 weeks, you know, or 12 years in some cases, and you're setting, your kind of, you're setting yourself up for failure doing that, where making one small change 
And then building upon that not only builds confidence, it's like legs on a table, like you're slowly building confidence, but you're rewiring your habits so that you're setting yourself up to allow those habits to compound over time. You know, one of my things that I say on the podcast more than anything else is tell me what you do every day and I'll tell you where you'll be in a year. And that's your compounds, compound effect of making the right choices and letting them, letting your habits dictate how you end up looking in you know a month's time, two months' time, three months' time, and the knowledge that you don't have to change everything drastically all at once to get a response. If you're trying to change your body composition and lose body fat or drop weight and you haven't been to a gym, by just going to the gym and doing a 40 or 50-minute work, workout it's going to be enough of a stimulus to maybe shock your body into dropping some weight or dropping some body fat do that for a week or two then start changing you do it all at once start first with getting your breakfast right get your first meal of the day right keep the rest of it as normal and then the following week get your lunch right and then slowly build upon that and setting small steps that are targets that you can hit and you can achieve. That's just the way to long-term success. You know, whether that's getting ready for a wedding, getting ready for an event, um, it's the short term that's going to lose you. You know, the juice and bar diets, the things that are so... Um, I can see where the allure is at this time of year because if you've overindulged at Christmas or you've been slow to get on the bandwagon in January, the temptation is, okay, I'm going to do something simple and easy that's going to get my weight down. But not realizing that, yeah, sure, your weight will probably come down if you eat no food for the next three or four weeks, but you're going to rebound out worse the following side. Whereas if you did the right things now, started putting the right steps in place and doing gradual changes that moved your life forward in a significant way for whatever your goal is, weight loss, fat loss, that's the key for long-term success. Um, I'm not sure if that answers your question, but that's how I would approach it. No, definitely. The slowly, slowly approach is, is the one I generally try to take with my clients. Um, I There's people out there that like give out kind of those crazy, crazy diets or lower their calories completely and that that may work for them but what i try to instill into kind of the listeners and try to instill into the clients that i work with face to face online is try to create new approach and try to set some a little target or a new goal or create a new habit every week and i like the way that you kind of spoke a little bit bits by bits and we're in a generation now that's kind of the all or nothing approach and that will not work with with the training side of things i've tried that it, it messed me up mentally and physically it just won't work. So if you kind of set out to kind of try and get your head around my fitness pal for a little while, if you um, work with a PT or something like that or talk to a PT, you don't necessarily have to sign up with one, but talk to have someone on the gym floor, get them to show you a few machines and kind of and have a look at that. That would be the kind of the mentality that I would kind of say to, to new starters in the gym as well. Um, and just to, just, just to piggyback on that, Shane, you made a really good point. Um but the truth is, and I've been, I'm similar to you in the sense that I've gone all or nothing. And the problem with going all or nothing and training way too much or going on a crash diet or a massively calorie-restricted diet or a juice diet or a bear diet is it does work, but only for the short term and it's not sustainable. And that's the problem. You know, I, I spoke about this recently on one of my podcasts that I don't want to tell people that, you know, training twice a day doesn't work or that going on a juice diet doesn't work because it does because if it didn't people wouldn't do it it just 
you, it doesn't work long term and it's very short term results yeah. because your body will respond and then you'll rebound worse than where you started and that instant gratification of wanting everything yesterday and I want to be in shape today or I want to be in shape yesterday that's what's going to set you back um, so just to kind of for anyone that's listening um, to realize that yeah that's one way of doing things and you can overtrain and you can undereat and your body will respond but you'll pay the price out the back end when your body starts to rebel against it I'm, I'm delighted you said that at, at the end because there is that approach so yeah um, the Q&A now Brian these came in from Instagram over the last kind of two days one of the things that came through was, have you got any tips for someone who's looking to lose weight but works a lot of shifts that they can't get into a normal routine? So what I, on my older programs, and particularly when I work one-to-one as a PT, what I would do with shift workers is the best piece of advice I'd offer is if you're on a shift where it's, it's a massive dramatic change where you're working all days and all nights and it's alternating every week. That can be a little bit more difficult. But trying to mimic your day routine, even when you're working nights, can be a really effective strategy. So one of the questions that will come in regularly when people are working night shift um, is – you know, how, what, what should I have in the morning? I'm like, well, I would just flip your day. So if you normally, you know, wake up in the morning at 8 a.m. and you go to the gym and then you go to work, I even if you're working and you're working night shift and you're getting up at 8 p.m., I would just flip your day, have your breakfast, go to the gym and just flip it. Um, that kind of consistently, consistency um, can allow you to even though you're going to have negative effects like probably too much cortisol from lack of melatonin production from night shift work and shift work, which is, is another issue in itself, but you can definitely minimize the negative effects by getting into a routine, getting your food right and getting your training program as close to what you do on a normal day as possible. Um, and I think that's just being conscious that that's an option. And um, when I say that to a lot of people, they're like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I just didn't think about it. Um, so that's probably how I'd approach that. Awesome. Um, one of the things that's happening now is a lot of people are starting to get the flu because either they their immune systems are a little bit down or they went a little bit too hard at Christmas and they're a little bit run down at the minute and a lot of people are starting to get flus. What would you suggest to someone that is that wants to train but they may be ill uh, or sick at all? Um, I'm a big believer in that you don't get a cold or a flu, the cold or flu gets you. And meaning that the only reason you got a cold or a flu was because your immune system was suppressed. Um, and that you, anyone that ever, whenever I say that, you think about the time you get a cold or a flu, it's when you haven't been sleeping, when you've been training too much or working too much or not eating right, you tend to pick up colds and flus because your immune system is suppressed those times when you're feeling great and you're eating well and sleeping, there's other people kind of coughing and spluttering around you and you don't pick up the cold or flu because your immune system is strong. So what I would approach to training is understand that when your immune system is suppressed, training 
is going to suppress it more. And that's one of the reasons that a lot of people that overtrain get sick very often because one, you're getting, you're deficient of things like glutamine, your amino acid, which gets deficient, zinc gets deficient. They're all, that's a mineral that's going to support your immune function. They get deficient in high-end trainers. So as a result, you're going to be more susceptible to colds and flus. So realize that if you train with that, you're probably going to make it worse. Um, what I generally do is one if you've got a flu it's a no-brainer like if you've got a flu don't train you're going to make it worse you're going to make everybody else sick and you're going to make yourself worse like it's lose-lose where if you've got a cold where you've got like there's a difference between you know i know people that are like oh i've got a runny nose i'm not going to the gym today i'm like you got a fucking runny nose go to the gym like where so it depends on the level and the extent but if i ever have a bit of a cold and i'm just feeling a bit run down I generally go at about 70 or 80% of what I would normally train at. I normally bump up my carbohydrates. Um, like That's all carbs really do. They only give you energy. Like There's no essential carbohydrates. There's essential fatty acids from fats. There's essential amino acids from protein, meaning you need to get them from food or supplements. If they're essential for your body, but there's no essential carbohydrate. All carbohydrates do and the function they serve is to give you energy. So when your immune system is suppressed, I like to bump up my complex carbohydrates to give my body that energy to try and fight what's going on um but if it's a flu stay at home rest sleep hydrate um and then when you start to feel better go back train and i know one of the things that people say they're sick is they could be just have had a, a hectic weekend what would you say to someone that has had a hectic weekend or else they've gone out on the, the saturday and they feel that they could train they may not be able to train would you say it's better to go out and sweat it out of you or would you say you just just make better food choices and kind of get yourself and set your stall out for the Monday. I personally would train. Um, personally, and, and again, it's case dependent because the thing with alcohol is it's a fuel source for your body. You know, fats, carbohydrates, protein, and alcohol, your body can utilize them all for fuel. It's just a really crappy fuel source, but your body can burn through it. And if you're feeling run down, uh, what can happen, you see, when you're drinking alcohol is it blocks out your REM cycles. So your rapid eye movement sleep, when you go into like deep rest rate of sleep, alcohol blocks that. So that's why even though you've slept or blacked out for 10 hours, you feel lethargic the next two days because you haven't actually got any rest rate of sleep. So as a result of that, you may feel more tired the next day and your immune system could actually take a bit of a hammer if you train too hard. However, I personally, if I've gone out for drinks, I tend to train the next day because it makes me feel better and I tend to make better food choices um, because I've sweated out. So I think it depends on the context. If you think it's just you're feeling crap because you're a little bit hungover, I would train. If you're feeling crap because you're a little bit hungover and you're probably going to get the flu, I would probably back off. Awesome. And then the last question is, I know Orla, Orla Walsh, the nutritionist and dietitian who you had on last week gave a great tip for someone who who doesn't want to who doesn't drink but can still kind of pretend that they can drink or looks like they're drinking to their friends and stuff like that i don't drink myself and i personally do sometimes do struggle on nights out particularly at weddings and stuff like that to kind of get in the same kind of form as some of the guys or the girls that are i'm out with and stuff like that can you kind of go into a little bit of kind of orla's points and kind of given when she said about if you if you if you choose not to drink on nights out and how to still yeah, have she, the fun. Yeah, she made a she a really really clever point um, where she 
would get the bartender to make gin and tonics without the tonics. So they would do all the lime and all like the prettying of the glass. Um, and then she just wouldn't put in the, or they'd put in the tonic, they wouldn't put in the gin, sorry. And she would literally just drink that all night. So she was effectively, she goes out, she gets all the razzle-dazz on the, on the glass, and then she just has tonic water all night. Um, and she said, it just stops, people don't ask. They just, they don't question. They're like, if you're a bit of crack anyway, and you're still talking as normal, people don't even ask. Um, something I used to do, and I didn't bring this up on the episode, not so much anymore, because again, I've got excuses now. If I'm not drinking, I'm like, well, I'm running through the Arctic or I'm running through the Sahara. <laughs> like, people are like, all right, cool, don't drink. Um, but when I was in that scene towards, say, 25, 26, I'm 31 now, where I was still going out pretty regularly and I didn't want to drink for whatever reason, what I normally did was I would get a Bulmers. I would get Bulmers or Magners and I'd have a bottle. I would drink one and then I would hold that bottle all night. Because it was a dark bottle, you could never see if it was full or empty. And I would just carry that around me for the whole night. Um, that's another little tip that I uh, I did for years. I did it for so long. Um, and I used to make sure it was one of those long neck bottles of Bulmers because you can't see if there's any alcohol in it. You can't see if there's any drinking it because the bottle is dark um, and I would just carry that with me and nurse that all night and if anyone's like do you want to drink I'm like I'd hold up my gla- my bottle and be like no no I'm good I've got one um, and I would do that for the whole night and then like I'd drive home <laughs> that's that's a really clever one of, the other, one of the other things she said as well was if you're having a drink have a glass of water afterwards and then even have a cup of coffee afterwards because you still get the stimulant from the caffeine to kind of make you all hyper instead of the crack with your your friends and stuff like that I thought that was genius having having the coffee um as a kind of a stimulant to kind of get away from the, the from, from the booze as always brian thank you so much for giving up your time i know you've got a busy schedule um for, i know you recorded a, a podcast this morning with rob Lipset. so on for your own for your own podcast i really appreciate you coming on as always um it's always amazing to kind of hear your ideas and kind of we didn't this was this is gonna this is recorded a one go for whoever is listening and I didn't go through any of these questions with Brian beforehand and his comfort in answering all of them is it's uh if I can pick up any of those skills when on my podcast when I when I'm kinda of interviewing people it'll be I'd I'd love to pick up some of those skills. So Brian, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Pleasure is all mine, Shane. Thanks so much for having me on. And may well do get the podcast up and running and smashing it out of the park. Cheers, man. I really appreciate it. Talk to you soon.